It's just a job, really, you know, something to keep me moving. My real passion is my hobby. Really? What's that? I work with retards. Isn't that a little politically, um, incorrect? Oh. The hell with that. No one's gonna tell me who I can and can't work with, right? No, I mean... We got this one kid, Mongo. He's got a forehead like a drive-in movie theater, but he's a good shit. So we don't bust his chops too much. So one day, Mongo gets out of his cage What, and... they keep him in a cage? Well, it's, it's just an enclosure. No, but they keep him confined. Right, yeah. That's bullshit. Well, that's what I said. So I went out and I got him a, I got him a leash. A leash? Yeah, one of those ones you can hook onto the clothesline and he can run back and forth and uh, there's plenty of room for him to, to dig and uh, play. That kid is really, uh, he's really blossomed, you know? Now I can uh, take him to movies, baseball games, you know, fun stuff. Hello, and welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast that takes our shared nostalgia of the movies, TV, and music we loved from our youth and tears it all apart. <laughs> I'm Becky, the podcast host most likely to only agree to do this podcast as a way to get to marry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Seth, the host most likely to know he's a little different, but that's what I like about me. I dress like a complete dork, I chew with my mouth open, I hardly ever say the right thing, and I probably fart too. <laughs> And I'm Chris, your podcast host most likely to have semen dripping from his ear at the start of a big date, and semen in his hair after it. The same semen? Like, migrating? Yes. <laughs> also gross. <laughs> there's, there's an important process of grabbing the semen and pushing it into one's hair. And that, my friends, is what we call romance. That's what we call a segue into this episode. <laughs> well, we hope you like dick jokes. <laughs> Because the movie we're discussing today is filled with dicks of all kinds and the mess these dicks make when confronted with women. <laughs> <laughs> Literally <Yeah>. and figuratively. <laughs> yes, we are talking about the Farrelly Brothers 1998 gross-out romantic comedy, There's Something About Mary, which celebrates its 20th anniversary next month. So before we start talking about this movie, I had a question. What do you guys think of gross-out comedies in general and the Fairly Brothers in general? Were you fans growing up? So they did Dumb and Dumber, Mm -hmm. uh, in which I saw in theaters. I saw many of the Fairly Brothers movies in theaters. I was an early fan of comedy in my youth, and that taste in comedy certainly expanded far past gross-out comedy, past a certain point point once I got a little bit older, but I did always appreciate a good dick joke, a good fart joke, a good poop joke, what have you. I definitely saw a lot of the gross out comedies and a lot of the kind of like spoofier side of comedies when I was growing up. Uh, What were some of your favorites? Yeah, I always liked the Naked Guns series. I loved Spaceballs and Mel Brooks movies. So you those gross out comedies? Um, to varying degrees, I would say those are the kinds of comedies that gave way to the gross-out comedies. Okay. And I definitely liked raunchier things like Animal House and Caddyshack. So, like, once the Farrelly Brothers came along, I would see a lot of those movies as well. I don't. 
<laughs> I don't like gross out comedies. I'm trying to think. Before this movie, I don't think I had really seen any. I would think Dumb and Dumber in parts counts. Yeah, I guess so. I had seen that, but I didn't even really like that movie the first time I watched it very much. So it was definitely not for me. There was like maybe a couple of parts of like the Brady Bunch movie, or at least they're like slapsticky. And even those parts of those movies I didn't like. And to me, like it just it feels kind of like the same. This broad humor that I just like don't find funny at all. Like I just don't see anything funny about shit or farts or other things like that. Wait, but Chris, have you heard this one? Oh God! Please don't. <laughs> I will leave this podcast. Wait, did it get? Did we catch it on microphone? Did we catch it? Oh, I don't think we, we certainly did Damn not. It. That was Damn a it. false alarm, listeners. <laughs> uh, yes, it's just not my thing. I mean, I'm I'm very drawn to comedies that have a good story, um, and really, like, I don't like just crazy dumb things happening or crazy gross things happening like none of that will hold my attention so even when we did um a couple episodes back the prom rom-coms and we watched uh not another teen movie like i hated that mostly because it had a lot of gross out comedy in there that i just like was not a fan of so it'll basically ruin a movie for me for the most part were you a fan of the fairly brothers no. I mean, I saw this movie, but I was—I wouldn't call myself a fan of them, no. I'm with Chris. <laughs> Although I would say in Not Another Teen Movie, I don't like the gross-out parts. That's the one thing I don't like about that movie. Although I appreciate that they're commenting upon gross-out moments in those types of movies. But it's still like a double-edged thing where I'm like, I'm still going to fast-forward the scene. <laughs> in that movie, they're just so much worse than they usually are. <laughs> well, yeah. I know that they're exaggerating it, but it's still... it's. For me, it's just like, they're making it worse. Yeah. Well, I don't like any of that stuff. I remember liking Dumb and Dumber, but I didn't like the shit scene with like, you know, he's pooping or whatever. I mean, I fast forwarded it. I don't like, these are the things that I fast forwarded, not the moments that my mom was like, that has sex in it, fast forward it. But I personally would fast forward anything in a movie that was like scatological, even like we talked about like in train spotting, but like, I don't like that scene either. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I, or like, I appreciate you know, it's good filmmaking, but at the same time, it grosses me out. Like, I don't like anything with poop. I don't like. Fair. <laughs> and the Fairly Brothers, like, a lot of their movies have that in them. Poop. <laughs> yeah, it's like a big part of a lot of their movies. So yeah. I think that I probably wasn't a fan. I think I appreciated most of Dumb and Dumber when I was younger, but all their other movies I was not big into because most of their movies are that kind of humor where they're you're they're trying to shock you with with things on screen and i was just never into that Mm -hmm. so let's talk about the fairley brothers peter fairley was born december 17th 1956 and bobby fairley was born june 17th 1958 they were raised in cumberland rhode island which is also the setting at the beginning of there's something about mary dumb and dumber kingpin and me myself and irene so a lot of their movies take place in their hometown While still struggling to launch his writing career, Peter Fairley went on a first date with a girl whose parents' new neighbor was Eddie Murphy. (laughs) The girl wanted an excuse to meet Eddie Murphy, so she asked him if she could hand uh, his script that he had written to Eddie Murphy, which is a very strange way to, like, break the ice. (laughs) I feel like that's everyone's dream is like, oh, um, would you let me give your screenplay to famous movie star? (laughs) 
Wait, that's why I moved to Hollywood. That's how I thought this was all supposed that to work. That never happened, well, and you do not hand your <laughs> script to random movie well, stars. Yeah. it happened to Peter Fairley, and two weeks later, Eddie Murphy was on Letterman and announced that he wanted to make Peter Fairley's movie. Holy shit. And Peter hadn't known about that because he'd forgotten to write his phone number on the script. <laughs> <laughs> you know, eventually he called Murphy's production company. Eddie Murphy flew the brothers out to L.A., and they've been working in LA ever since. That movie didn't come to be, but that got them out from Rhode Island to LA. Very strange breaking in story. That is absolutely insane. Yeah. I feel like that's a better movie than they've ever made. <laughs> I would like to see that movie, right? honestly. Right. I've never Do you know what this. era that was for like Eddie Murphy? It was the early 90s, late 80s. So coming to America time, probably. The height of his powers, probably. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good era for Murphy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unlike Murphy some later. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-clumps. <laughs> so Peter Fairley moved to L.A. in hopes of breaking into the business, and his roommate turned out to be no other than a pre-Cheers Woody Harrelson, uh, which turned out to, you know, he starred in Kingpin eventually. Fairley at the time pretty much thought that Woody would never have a career. Good thing he was wrong. <laughs> yeah, good old Woody. So um, his brother Bobby joined him, and together... You know, they got work as writers. They were co-writers for the 1992 episode of Seinfeld, The Virgin. Ooh, which one is that? Uh, that was with Jane Leaves from Frasier. Oh, okay. And she played the virgin and he, it was kind of near the contest because he was dating a virgin, which is why he couldn't have sex in the contest. So it was like, I think it was the episode before the contest. Oh, okay. Seinfeld. <laughs> So altogether, Peter and Bobby Fairley have made 11 movies. There's Something About Mary was their third movie. A common theme in their movies is slapstick and blue humor, plots involving a lot of road trips and physically or mentally handicapped people. And their films cameo a lot of sports stars. <laughs> yeah. All true. All absolutely true. Yeah. And poop. Don't forget poop. <laughs> yeah, there's brown humor as well as the blue. <laughs> I don't even like that. <laughs> you don't even like humor. that? Come on. Their first movie together was Dumb and Dumber, which we've talked about on the podcast already, but a little bit of trivia about that movie. The studio initially offered Jim Carrey 350000 to play the part of Lloyd. He wanted 400000 and passed. Ace Ventura Pet Detective came out at number one of the box office. Suddenly, Carrey was a huge star, and he eventually earned $7 million to star in Dumb and Dumber. So, good on Jim Carrey there. And Jeff Daniels made like 300,000. Oh, or he something. made like 50 grand. Yeah. Like sag minimum um because they the studio did not want Jeff Daniels to be in the movie and they offered they lowballed him basically and he took the part anyway. You guys be fair, they also gave him a subway gift card. I have not seen that verified. No. <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure that's true. The second movie that the Fairley brothers did was Kingpin. It was a big disappointment, not just compared to Dumb and Dumber, but it was kind of a flop. They thought their career was over, so they decided to go out with a bang and make the craziest movie that they could think of as their last. And that was There's Something About Mary. Was not their last movie by a long shot. And let's talk about that now. <laughs> There's Something About Mary was directed by Peter and Bobby Fairley. It was written by Ed Dechter, John J. Strauss, and Peter Fairley and Bobby Fairley. It stars Cameron Diaz, Ben Stiller, and Matt. Dylan. Musician Jonathan Richmond pops up as a Greek chorus member alongside drummer Tommy Larkins and they uh, have these little tiny songs throughout the movie where they're kind of commenting on what's happening and but kind of not. 
They set a mood. Yeah, they set a mood. A very sure. mid nineties mood. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not familiar with Jonathan Richmond outside this movie, but I looked him up, and he's like a cult musician. Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe him. He's like an Elvis Costello kind of singer songwriter guy, uh, and he's put out tons of albums. Um, but he's never had like a big crossover hit. Um, but he's still around making music now. Yeah, there's something about Mary was released July fifteenth, nineteen ninety eight. The budget was $23 million. The box office was $176 million domestic, wow. $370 million worldwide. Very big hit. Um, it was the highest grossing comedy of 1998 and the fourth highest grossing movie of the year in 1998. Uh, Cameron Diaz was nominated for Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical at the Golden Globes. So, a little wow. bit of awards love. This is also their best reviewed film of all of their films. That's unsurprising. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say, I I have a soft spot for Kingpin. I did not see that until very recently. I think that's my preferred Fairly Brothers movie, actually. I've never seen it. Me neither. We may have to remember Chris, that. Chris, didn't you think The Big Lebowski was Kingpin? <laughs> yes. I thought it was just one movie <laughs> about bowling or not bowling. You just said that it's the best-reviewed movie of their career. It has a 69 on Metacritic and an 83% <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. If that gives you kind of an indication of how their movies are received. Generally, There's Something About Mary was, at the time, very positively reviewed. Um, I didn't get one particular review, but on Rotten Tomatoes, they have, like, little, um, you know... Capsule blurbs. Blurbs. Yeah. And so a bunch of the ones that I, that I captured were um, a gut-busting blast of tasteless tomfoolery, it's not every day that you hear screams of laughter coming from a movie theater. There is hardly a moment in the picture that is not laughable. I don't remember the last time I laughed as hard at a movie. Crude, offensive, crude, offensive sexist, and embarrassingly hilarious. So that's kind of the general consensus of this movie from critics of the time, was that it was fucking funny as hell. <laughs> really funny. Um, there were some negative reviews. Here's a long one from Entertainment Weekly's Owen Gleiberman. <laughs> he gave the movie a C. Um, this is what he said. The jokes carry an implication. If you don't laugh, you're elitist or overly correct. But you don't have to be a prude to be put off by the strenuousness with which the Fairleys telegraph their taboo-smashing glee, or by the way they seem locked into the very tween-dweeb vision they're satirizing. Mary isn't a character. She's a geek's dream of cover girl beauty made lonely and pliant. Stiller and Dylan fail to generate an electron of charisma between them. So that was Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> More like Sieberman. So did you guys see There's Something About Mary in theaters at the time, and what did you think at the time? I did not see it in the theaters at the time. I did see it very soon after it came out on video. Um, and I laughed at a lot of it, but you said it was 1998? Um, so I would have been in eighth grade, and I was about 13. And at that point in time, I had gotten really heavy into more absurdist and smarter comedy um, I was really into Monty Python at the time and and was starting to get into like Terry Gilliam's movies and the humor in that was just a lot more absurdist and uh, demanded more and so for me was becoming much more rewarding. So I remember really laughing at, at many parts of the movie, but then also really coming away with a sense that like, there, uh, despite these funny parts, there's very little story here. There's who were these characters? Like, what do they really care about? How is this humor coming from who these characters are? Um, and I 
So I think it was a movie that I thought was a mixed bag at best, even at the time. I also did not see it in theaters, um, not really out of lack of interest, but because it was a raunchy movie and I wasn't 17 yet, so I couldn't get in by myself. And I did not want to see it with my parents because I knew there was weird semen in places. <laughs> Do you remember that from word of mouth? Or I can't remember if they actually like broadcast the cum thing in commercials or they trailers. They didn't at first, but I think it became such a like a water cooler kind of moment that eventually like it would be written about in like Entertainment Weekly or something like that. So I definitely knew that that was the specific gag before I saw the movie. I remember seeing in the trailer, there's got to be a shot of her hair when it's sticking up super high. I yeah, think at that some was... point that was in like at least a commercial or something. Like I remember that is that hair gel. Yeah, because I part saw of the ads. that. I saw that before I knew anything else. About yeah, the movie. I imagine that was not part of like the first trailer, but was something that like was a like this is what everyone's talking about, and so kind of used in that way. I've only seen three of the Fairly Brothers movies ever, so the fact that I saw this one is because it was such a big deal that summer. It was like the movie everyone was talking about. It got a ton of publicity. It was a big hit, but it wasn't like a huge box office the first weekend hit. It was a word of mouth hit, so it stayed around and like culture for a little while so I remember when I look back on this movie I feel like it was probably a bigger deal than it was just because of how long I remember it being discussed and you know like Entertainment Weekly graded it badly at first I even remember that but like then would probably write like more positive things about it or just like coverage of the movie because they were cashing in on what was popular at the time and and I think for someone who's like a teenager at the time it was probably something that was fairly well known amongst people I knew I guess I don't specifically remember a lot of discussion of it but I have a feeling it was a cool movie to have seen yeah I think that's a perfect way to put it it was like that's that's most of the reason why I ended up watching it on video pretty quickly after it was out of theaters was because so many of my friends were like, oh, have you seen There's Something About Mary? Yeah, it was one of those things like you ha- kind of had to see it to see it just to like be like, yep, I get your semen jokes now. Mm-hmm. And like other like references, it, it was definitely referenced a little bit in pop culture. So yeah, like you, I saw it on video um, probably right at, right after it came out. Um, And then somehow inherited a copy of it. I know I never bought the movie, so I either, like, stole it or (laughs) borrowed it or someone gave it to me. Anyway, so I've owned it for years now, but I've still only, before I'd seen this, probably had seen it two to three times. I saw this in the movie theater, but it wasn't something that I was like, ooh, I gotta see that. I can't wait to see that. I think it was just one of those, like, everyone seeing it. So I'm going to go to, or maybe I went with my family, or... Well, you had already seen a lot of movies with semen dripping from various <laughs> orifices. I'm assuming. <laughs> I do not know how to respond to that. <laughs> Other than yes. Uh, yeah, I feel like the affirmative is the way. <laughs> We're not talking about the Spice Channel. <laughs> um, <laughs> how do I go from there? <laughs> um, I am not into gross out, and I... I think I knew it was going to be gross out. I just don't appreciate movies where I know I'm going to be confronted with something kind of gross <laughs> against my will. Like, I kind of like watching the movie. It's almost like watching a horror movie. You're like, something gross is going to happen. Um, but I remember being in the theater, and the theater was dying laughing. Like, I, I do remember that experience of being in a theater where everyone was cracking up. Um, but I really wasn't. <laughs> and I think at the time, I felt 
I didn't really like this movie. And I remember feeling like the odd person out. Like, it really did feel like the movie that everybody was talking about that summer and glowing about it and thinking it was hilarious. And I remember thinking, like, really? <laughs> you thought there was nothing about Mary. Nothing about, well, maybe, like, a little about Mary, but not, like, a lot. <laughs> There's very little about Mary. <laughs> yeah, like, I just remember at the time not really being into it and feeling like an outsider for not being really into it. I'm just still really interested in the way that both of you seemingly don't really derive any humor from gross-out stuff. Like, it's just interesting to me. I think it hints at different ways that people process and react to disgust. Yeah, you know what? Like, I don't know about you, Chris, but like, when I was a little girl, anything squishy or gross, I did not like it. Like, we did finger painting with, like, some food like it was either like pudding or or cheese or just some sort of like finger painting with like this like mushy (laughs) stuff i was in preschool and i remember this and i refused i would not put my fingers in it um (laughs) yeah no like i think it's i think it's something that elemental of like it's just this is just how you process the feeling of of being disgusted and grossed out by something. Because I think for a lot of people, I'm not going to say most, because who the hell knows, um, but for a lot of people, like, disgust provokes the sense of, you know, like, your mind goes to the shame you feel for, like, being embarrassed for getting dirty or, like, you know, pissing yourself, like, whatever it is. Um, And I think that's why, like, for a lot of people, I think that's why it, provokes a humor response. Um, But I think the both of yous are just built a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, my family was kind of into gross-out humor as a kid, like, way more than I was. And so I would, I was, like, raised around it, like, some of it, but, like, still, it just never became the brand of comedy that I gravitated to or liked. And like Becky, I also was not a kid who, like, was fond of getting dirty, like, physically. I did not like being muddy or anything like that. And, And I loved getting in the dirt and playing in the dirt. Um, it's funny cause I'm such an indoor kid. I'm such an indoor person now. Um, and was then to, to different degrees, but I always loved like working in the garden cause my mom would garden. So I got to be like in soil and around gross things and like had, um, at school we had like a barn with horses and all kinds of animals. So like I was around all of those functions of life. <laughs> it's interesting because I think there's obviously a part of our tastes that comes from just the things that we watch and see, but there's also this part of it that's just kind of innate to who we are as people and human beings. And that's interesting to me because it's always, you know, when it's all happening within what your taste level is, you can't necessarily divide that. But I think there are a couple different things that go on in in making that. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I feel like me not liking this checks out throughout my personality. Yeah. Um, Yeah, As I mentioned before, like the comedies I like are like Romy and Michelle, where it's kind of more character based humor. And it's a little bit more believable than something like Dumb and Dumber or There's Something About Mary. Yeah, I did sketch comedy for a while as an adult and somebody on my team was really into gross out comedy and they would do a lot of stuff with fake blood or fake vomiting or real vomiting (laughs) (laughs) um, for certain sketch nights 
it was like it was like tasteless sketch nights mm-hmm. and sometimes they would actually like try to throw up on stage or like do kind of gross things like that and i'd be like i want to leave <laughs> i'm not into this at all that's what you would say on stage <laughs> i don't want to be a part of this no thank you no thank you vomit so, <laughs> no thanks vomit. as an adult i'm still like not into not into vomit no no, no. like the standby me scene no thank you like still right yeah that grossed me out too. <laughs> yeah i mean as an adult i see the the campiness of it but as a kid i didn't and it was just disgusting and i would fast forward it <laughs> so all the sex scenes should have had vomit in them and then i would have fast forward that. <laughs> just a different kind of vomit. yeah provide some like new service where you add vomit scenes to sex scenes. <laughs> I feel like that's something that the Mormon church would do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They used to recut like R-rated movies or they recut Titanic, I think. Uh, they used to, to like, take avoid... the steamy stuff out. Yeah, so they yeah. could just like throw some vomit in there too just and make it extra nauseous. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So let's get into what we thought about There's Something About Mary Now. What did you guys think of it as adults? What we were just talking about, I think, is a perfect segue into how I saw the movie now. Again, at best, it's a mixed bag. And I pretty much line up exactly with both of you. Having gone to film school, I can now explain what I think is the main weakness of not just this movie, but the Fairley Brothers' whole approach, uh, is that they they go for the comedy of the lowest common denominator. They go for the easiest punchline, and the one that they think is going to be the most, again, kind of quote-unquote shocking or quote-unquote politically incorrect. As I kind of perceived when I first watched it, and especially re-watching it, the humor is more focused on punching down and, again, on just gross out itself, that I think it's really weak comedically. I just think it's a very weak way to approach comedy, and I don't think that there are well-written enough characters in it, and there's not enough of a story in it to make it any more than the couple of jokes and gags that I think still work. And there are a few of those, and we'll go through them, but I think overall, it's just a mixed bag at very best. I liked it. (laughs) I will obviously talk more about specific things that I liked later, but in general, I went into watching it really not knowing if it was going to be an Ace Ventura situation where it's just, like, really kind of offensive from every level, being not just, like, politically incorrect, but just kind of, like, have a whole different mindset about the kinds of characters. Because I remembered the basic kind of characters that were in this. There are disabled people, people with mental challenges. And so I was like, oh, this could be really offensive. We'll talk more, I'm sure, about specific things that may or may not be offensive as we go along. But in general, Seth is right that the Fairley Brothers' humor is a lot about punching down in lowest common denominator. But in general, I felt that this movie did not do much of that. And I'll definitely say to add to my previous general statement that... I wasn't as morally offended by it as I expected to be. And for the Fairley brothers, that is a pretty significant thing. Yeah. (laughs) I was. (laughs) Okay, here's what I like about this movie. (laughs) I think Cameron Diaz is really pretty and really charming. (laughs) Really charming. She shines in this movie. And I think this movie has one fantastic, comedically brilliant sequence. And I think the rest of it is really problematic in regards to being sexist, being like against disabled people, mentally challenged people, racist. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot. And also just not being funny. Um, 
so many of the jokes I think do not work or at least maybe at the time maybe worked and just don't now and just watching it I felt like why would somebody put this on would this really make somebody laugh now in 2018 like it just for me it just didn't work at all as a movie that could stand the test of time and still be funny um again I've never really found this movie funny and I hadn't watched it in a while um and I found it even less funny mm. um, as an adult. And as a woman, it just, there's so much about Mary's character and how people, the whole premise of the movie really bothered me and I was sad. Yeah, I think it's a good approach if we start by diving into the character of Mary herself. Yeah, and we can talk about what the movie is about. It starts off in the 80s. Ted is in love with Mary from afar. Mary is this, not just a beautiful young female, but she's very kind. She has a disabled brother that she tries to protect. Just everything about her radiates like I'm a good person and beautiful inside and out. Ted is in love with her. He invites her to the prom and and he's a big geek that, you know, never had a girlfriend. She says yes. We'll get into what happens that they don't end up going to the prom together, but after this incident he never sees her again and then like cut to i think it's like 15 years later 12 or 15 years later facebook doesn't exist then <laughs> and he wants to find her so he hires a private detective uh patrick healy i think yeah pat healy played uh, by matt Dillon. and so uh the investigator goes down to florida finds mary sees that she's absolutely gorgeous um and he decides to tell ted you know oh she's a she's a pig she's a whale like she's a million kids like She's handicapped. She's handicapped. She's all these things. You don't want her. So he can move down to Florida and pursue her himself. And through the grapevine, Ted finds out, oh, that was all a lie. So he decides to go down to Florida and uh, pursue Mary in person. And hijinks ensue where there's other people that are interested in Mary and they team up and form alliances to get Mary away from Ted. Uh, Basically, it's a bunch of guys trying to pursue this beautiful woman. There's something about her. There's something about her. Yeah, there's something about her. (laughs) So the character of Mary. So let's talk about that. I I think that's the fundamental shortcoming of this movie overall, because I totally agree with you. I think Cameron Diaz is charming and is absolutely charming in this role. But as a character, I don't know who she actually is on the inside other than what she does for everyone else. Like, what does she actually want other than to help people? I can tell you what kind of guy she likes. (laughs) Well, I can tell you what kind of guys like her, but I want to amplify, Becky, what you were just saying, because I don't even think it's about these men who are pursuing her. I think it's a movie about men, like, trying to claim ownership of her simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Um, Literally, one of the biggest notes I wrote down was, Just the mentality of entitlement and ownership that every male character in this movie feels over Mary, to the extent that Ted, who's supposed to be our ideal of the good guy, to the extent that he's like a weenie wuss kind of good guy, um, he pretty much only exclusively refers to her like in the present day as my Mary. He like talks about her 
as though she's already owed to him. And as though, because he liked her in high school, he's like entitled to her now. And I did come away with this feeling that this movie is pretty deeply misogynistic, not just in terms of having misogynistic characters, but in setting up what women are worth in this movie and in this story. Yeah, like Ted is seen as the good guy in the movie. And... And he's fucking stalking her. Yeah. He's hiring a private investigator to was, follow her. If there was some... Yeah, that's pretty much it. If there was somebody from my past who used a private detective to find me, I would be so creeped out. I don't care how nice they are. Just that that in general is so creepy that that as just a beginning... I know that's part of the movie. Like, how else is he going to find her in this world without Facebook? Or even if there was, like, Facebook or social media, she could be just not be on it. But, like, I still feel like that in general is so creepy from a starting position that I don't have much... He's not much better in my mind exactly. than everyone else. He is better, but not by much. And, and also, they wait until, like, I think maybe the last 15, 20 minutes of the movie to even try to justify why Mary doesn't have, like, a listed phone number in the phone book, an address in the phone book. She's, like, on the run from uh, an ex... Is it an ex-boyfriend yeah. who's crazy? Yeah, it's, it's Woogie. It's by Chris, Eli- Chris Elliott, please. Right, Chris Elliott. <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah, yeah, and again, like, it's just all these men... At least Ted had some sort of conversation with her where it seems like they were getting along on a, you know... They were they were having something in common, even though he at first liked her because, oh, she's so beautiful. But at least they had that walk from school where they were like talking and getting along. But everyone else is basically like, she's hot. I want her. That's pretty much the extent of why they want her. And even though I kind of wish there was more. They try a little bit with Ted to be like, oh, we actually get along and we have this like connection, like a mental connection. But I just wish there was like a little bit more of that to to make it feel like Ted actually loves her, not just because she's hot. Well, and also to to underline this idea that even this many years later, there's that there is some hint of a spark or there's at least the promise that that spark could return. I feel like this movie, like I agree with everything you guys are saying, but I feel like the movie is knowingly doing that. Like these guys are all supposed to be crazy obsessive jerks like and like one after another like they reveal themselves to be the worst guys ever and ted even like that's his arc in the movie as he realizes that he's not any better than they are and lets like at the end of the movie is prepared to walk away and say mary you should be with this other guy brett fav Uh, (laughs) sports star cameo (laughs) yeah um because that's who i think would make you happy like the movie is very knowingly about the ways in which men objectify women and claim ownership of them but i think that's where it's driving its comedy from is these crazy lengths that these men will all go to ted included he goes he's the least crazy of them but he still does go to lengths that are further than probably most women would be comfortable with. I think that's a very fair point. I think that's fair. I do agree with you. And I think the movie does know this. The thing that I think makes it upsetting as a woman to watch this for me is that Mary doesn't have that great of a character. And the fact that there are so many parts of the movie where we are staring through binoculars, like at her undressing that it feels like the movie is trying to make a comment, like, aren't these people jerks? But also like, isn't she hot? Like at the same time that it 
it doesn't seem like it's truly condemning their actions. It's it's inviting you to look to so many times of how hot she is and how brawless she is in this movie. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think you're I think you're getting at it, Becky. It's it's not that the movie is not knowing about how shitty the men are. It's that the movie is not then like showing Mary as like a compelling force unto herself. It's still so all from the perspective of the men that I think Becky's ultimately right that the 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 that what the movie is doing is saying, "Oh, well, can you blame these guys for going to these lengths?" I mean, look at her, right? That's kind of the feeling I get. Yeah. Yeah. That's very and that's very much the feeling I got watching it this time. I agree with you to an extent, because I I don't think that Mary is a particularly deep character. I mean, what came to mind when I was watching it this time was the cool girl mentioned in Gone Girl. Oh, yes. That's what I thought of, too. Yeah, because she's saying she wants a man who likes football and... You know, this is, is what she wants. A self-employed guy who would leave at the drop of a hat. Like an architect. Because <laughs> architects don't have offices. Uh, must love traveling, eating hot dogs, baseball, beer, and golf. Yeah, so she's definitely <laughs> not a real woman. She is the... She's a manic pixie dream yeah, girl. Yeah, I would say what I'm into is... I don't know, whatever you like. <laughs> yes, that is the feel... That is another... I'm sorry to, it's like, this was my frustration. And I think if you like Mary in this movie, it's because Cameron Diaz is so charming that you almost forget that she's not a real person. But like, I hate when in these types of movies where the girl's attractive because she likes beer and masculine activities, whereas like seeing, like liking shopping or fashion or sewing or something that's like seemingly feminine is like, oh, you're just like another girl. You're not special. But if you like beer and baseball, like you're put on some pedestal as as liking these masculine activities. Um, and that's what makes you attractive is that you're not like a girly girl. I agree that that's problematic. It feels very much like a symbol of the times, just because I think at this time that was a little more different for a romantic comedy to have a girl who was like that. I think she did kind of stick out a little bit more in this movie at the time as someone who was not the conventional rom-com girl, even though there are a lot of things about the way she's written that are, and it definitely is true that they wanted to kind of have their cake and eat it too with making her hot, but making her also kind of unconventional. I liked the character of Mary pretty well. I thought there were some really interesting things about her. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised that she... There's some things that are interesting about Mary. (laughs) There's some things about Mary. That's my version of this movie. Uh, No, I thought... Like, the movie gives her a perspective and gives her her own goals of what she wants. And she has these friends and, like, she has a full life. Like, she has a career. It's, it's again, it's, like, a very perfect career. But to me, like, this movie gives a lot more consideration to the love interest than most other romantic comedies I can think of. And I appreciated that she was a real character. And I think there's some some things about her that really stand out like when she like constantly is like I'm fucking with you like I appreciated her sense of humor in this movie I could see a version of this movie where she's way blander and where a lot of these other things would feel like more of a problem but for me when watching it I was and I think Cameron Diaz is a lot of the reason why I was drawn enough to her and found her a different enough kind of character that I kind of did get the sense of like why all these guys would obsess over her so I don't know if this is getting into too much more of the movie, but 
I just felt sorry for her <laughs> in dealing with all of these horrible men. And so this is basically this woman's life. She didn't get to go to her senior prom. Um, people have been harassing her mentally challenged brother her whole life. Men have stalked her so much that she's had to change her name and move out of state. Um, men are continuously lying to her to get in, in her pants. Men are spying on her. And the one nice guy she knows puts cum in her hair on her first date. <laughs> like, all of these things to be over fair, and he over. Put, she puts the cum in her own hair. But just like, can you, can you, <laughs> the, the thing about the hair gel scene, it's just that it's a joke on someone who doesn't deserve it. If, if you can imagine somebody in this movie who is kind of like, kind of a piece of shit or like villainous or something and they get come in their hair and have that moment like that's a joke at their expense but i feel like mary's done nothing wrong and the come in there is just i get why it's a funny image and it is a funny image of her hair like i just i felt bad for her hey hello hey. <laughs> good how are you good good you're looking very beautiful thank you what is that hmm on your ear. Here. No, your left ear. Is that? Is that a hair gel? Yeah. Great. Yeah. I can no, use. No, no, some. no! Don't, don't, you don't have to. You don't. You don't. <laughs> I just ran out. I think this is one of many big moments of the movie that we should talk about specifically. Yeah, it's it's, it's the moment of the movie. It's the iconic scene of the movie, and the setup for it is that Chris Elliott's character tells Ben Stiller's character right before his first hot date with Mary that he's gotta come, he's gotta like, he's gotta knock one out and masturbate in the bathroom before she gets there. To release tension. To release the tension. Because otherwise he'll have baby batter on the brain. <laughs> God, gross. And so Ben Stiller does this. Once he climaxes, he can't find where his semen went. And at that exact moment, Mary knocks on the door because she's arrived. So he goes to greet her at the door with a full load dangling from the ear. And (laughs) that has become obviously this like iconic gross out movie moment. But that whole cum joke is just logistically impossible. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to delve too deeply into the physics of cum, which I refer to as jizics, to know that it wouldn't only come out in one spurt, and it would never hang from your ear. And no one is ever like, hey, you've got some hair gel that in your is, ear. Exactly. I'm going to put it in my hair. Yeah, every part of that doesn't work either, because there's nothing on Earth that I think you could mistake for cum. Or uh, I think there are a few things on Earth that you could mistake semen for, like other than semen. Um, <laughs> it does not look like hair gel. It just does not. No, and it, I know the joke is that like here's a beautiful woman with like this crazy image of her hair. But like if something happened to Ben Stiller, that would be funnier to me because he's like the schlemiel of the whole movie, where all of these shitty things are happening exactly. to him, and he kind of de- doesn't deserve it, but kind of does. And then not only that, but the follow-up to this is then the scene of their date at the restaurant. And it's like a six or seven minute scene with not a single real laugh in it. Like it, it especially rewatching it this time, it stuck out like a wet fart to me, although there were no wet farts in the scene. Um, just that the I don't even like that. <laughs> the follow-up to the to that joke was just Just look at her. That same one note. Just 
over and over and over and over and over. The joke is that they're having a serious conversation and her hair looks like that. I just feel bad for her. Maybe just because I've been on a lot of bad dates and I just feel like we're in in an era now where come in my hair is like sexual assault to me like it just doesn't give me like laughter i don't know well and there was another <laughs> well i totally agree with you that like you feel bad for her in this movie but that's why i liked her character and why i kind of liked this movie is that this movie was considering all these terrible things happening to this woman who didn't deserve it and Like, I related to her character. Like, the point of the movie is basically, like, look at all this shit that men will do just to get, like, a hot girl. Isn't it disgusting? Yeah, like, it might be funnier if he had come in his hair or something. So I'm fine with that. I do, like, I you don't want to think about the logistics of all this very much, or the scene doesn't really make a lot of sense. But in general, I think that the fact that she's in some ways a victim, she doesn't act like a victim, but she is victimized by these guys, made her a much more interesting character than, I mean, there's a lot of romantic comedies where guys are stalking women and they're they're just like, okay, like, I guess I'll, I mean, we just talked about those in the prom movies with, like, Julia Stiles and 10 Things I Hate About You, and she's all that. Like, the guys were stalkers, but we're not even supposed to, like, find that problematic. I thought that this was an interesting take on making that kind of part of the text of the story. So before we move on, I want to talk about my experience watching this movie on a plane. (laughs) Why would they have this movie on a plane? (laughs) Well, I've seen a lot of movies on different planes where like R-rated movies and, you know, it kind of depends on the airline. I think, uh, you know... Becky's just bragging that she likes to fly a lot. (laughs) I do fly a lot. Jeez. Um, I think this was American Airlines. I watched this on the plane and this is the reason why I was like, we have to do this on the podcast. I watched like maybe half of it before I was like, I got to (laughs) stop. Make sure we do this on the podcast. But the scene where he is jerking off before his date with Mary, it's kind of like him in the bathroom jerking off. You don't even see his penis. You just see him in a sink and his arm is moving and it cuts with like her walking, you know, towards the restaurant back and forth. Whenever it cut to him in the bathroom, a a black screen would pop up and it would say, it would literally say, we can't show you this scene. You're going to have to ask a friend. Oh my God. And then it would cut back to Mary walking in the restaurant, cut back to the black screen. Really? We really can't show you. Wait. And another part of it is you hear the sound of him jacking yes, off where it's like. <laughs> you still hear the sounds. Stop grossing us out. You hear the sounds and you hear like, I think it's some sort of like classical Music like fast yeah, classicalish yeah. music, and I was just like, "What?" <laughs> First of all, you don't see his penis. Like, I'm sorry if there's like a child sitting next to me, but sh- they're not going to be able to see anything. I'm wearing headphones. Why can't I see? Why can't they show me that part of that movie? I just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> Becky that- <laughs> yelled out, "Show me this penis! Show me no, the I- penis!" Like, why can't I just see him like moving his arm back and forth? Yeah, like it's just it was so funny to he me. He was finding a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> Did they show the semen on the ear part? No. Okay. She she she's like, what's that? Like you cut to her grabbing it and then putting in her hair, and then you see her hair, but you don't see the the semen in the ears either. Oh, she's like, what's the fucking point? <laughs> anyway, I had to. Yeah. <laughs> American Airlines. What the hell? This episode of possibly necessary censorship. <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like there would be a better version of that exact narrative turn that would do that more effectively and give Mary much more agency and power as a character. This reminded me, at one point in the movie, Mary goes on a date with Pat Healy, Matt Dillon's character. Like, she goes on a date with him, even though she knows he's this creep. And at the end of the date, he asks if he can grab her boobs. It was so It was so gross and awkward and weird and gross and awkward. And she lets him. So I at least appreciated that he asked for consent and that she gave it. But I think the version of this movie where Mary was considered and written as a human being, the version that would be funnier would be where if she insisted on Turnabout being fair play and like grabbed him by the balls, there'd be a way of subjecting her to these awful experiences where she would take the power in the situation. And I think the emphasis, like Becky is saying, was placed more on her being a victim and on her being kind of powerless to really say no to any of this, even when she's asked for permission. Part was so gross that it was really uncomfortable. I mean, I was watching the movie, but for some reason, I think I looked away and then looked up, and he's touching her boobs, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What did I miss? Like, is this in the actual movie? Did I see like a bonus, like extra that like <laughs> did that somehow get into this movie? I could not believe that was part of this movie that he like just reached out and grabbed her boobs and then left, and she lets him, and she's like, "Oh, wasn't that fun? Never in a thousand years would that happen in real life, and you'd be like, oh." <laughs> I don't know. She's going out with him. They're on their first date. Yeah, they're it on was their so gross. first date. That's not a thing. That's not a thing. Maybe if she was like, hey, grab my boobs, like they're having a conversation. I don't know. Like if, if, if there was some reason where she was in control of this or just exactly. don't have fucking have that in the exactly. movie. It was so like, oh, it was just so uncomfortable. That was the most uncomfortable part of the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, and again, I think that just gets to the fact that Mary is instrumental to the men who encounter her. She is not a person who has really any bearing on the universe outside of what men want from her. So I want to talk about a scene that I think really works. And that is the scene in the bathroom when Ted shows up to go to the prom with Mary. Some hijinks ensue where her prom dress strap breaks, goes to go fix it. He goes in the bathroom to pee, looks out at two loving doves in the foreground, but in the background... And the carpenters are playing. (laughs) (laughs) Why do birds... But in the background, Mary and her mom are, like, fixing her dress, so it's just, like, her and her bra. The first moment of somebody peering over at Mary, he gets startled because he's not actually spying on her but it looks like he is he zips up very fast and his penis and balls get stuck in a zipper frank and beans frank and beans frank and beans exactly what the hell is the situation what did you shit yourself or something oh i wish i I, I got it stuck you got what stuck it oh it um um uh well uh listen uh it's not the end of the world uh these kind of things happen. Uh, uh, let's have a look at it. Oh, for God's sake! Shh! 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 Sheila! No! Sheila! Uh, no, honey! Don't! Sheila, honey, uh, uh, you gotta come here. You gotta, you, you gotta see this. What? what? Don't! Don't! Come in here, honey. Don't! Don't! Don't worry. She's a dental hygienist. She'll know exactly what to do. Hi, Ted. Hi, Mrs. Jensen. How are you? You okay? Yeah. Okay. Holy shit! Shh! Charlie could have warned me. Keep it down. Okay, Charlie, Mrs. Jensen, I just don't want Mary to... 
I don't want her here, you know? Yeah, um, let's just relax here, okay? Now, uh, uh, what exactly are we uh, looking at here? Um, what do you mean? What? Well, I mean, um, is it the... Um, or the... Is it the Frank or the beans? Right. Oh, I, 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 I don't know. It looks like I think it's a little bit of both. Break some veins! Break some veins! So I think this is actually the fantastic scene in terms of heightening comedy. Yes. Where it just keeps going and going and going and building and building. And Absolutely. I think as just a, a sequence, I think this works as a perfect sketch. So at first, like, he's in there for a while. The dad goes in. He looks at it, but the audience does not see it. The dad, the stepdad, Mary's stepdad is played by Keith David. Keith David. Her mom is Marky Post. <laughs> Marky Post from Night Court. Yeah. So the first the dad goes in, he just kind of describes it but we don't see it and that's just funny that you are kind of picturing what does this look like then the mom goes in she sees it reacts describes it in her own way and then a police officer comes in through the window and i think at that moment that's where i'm like this is just heightening it to the absurd and then like a firefighter comes in (laughs) and i think it's just brilliant because each one describes what they see in a different way and it's just a funny way to be like how can you describe how awful his penis must look in a zipper. I think this is a gross out moment that I think actually works in the fact that we see it. And I think that's the best way to button that scene is that we actually see it after all of these encounters where we're just hearing what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, I cannot agree with you more like on every single point you just made. I think that it, that sequence is like a perfect comedy sketch. Um, and I do think that that's the best instance of the gross out comedy working because they amp it up so much, so, mm-hmm. so much with that character-based comedy, even though it's with just these walk-on characters who aren't in the rest of the movie for the most part, it still just builds the comedy of it so much um, that, yeah, I, I still think that that really, really worked for me, and I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, they actually tested that scene um, with that reveal shot in different places in the scene, because you can kind of tell that it's an insert shot, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there are a lot of moments when people look at it and react and that was the one that got the biggest laugh. So it was Because it's at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it's I think it's a Hitchcock moment <laughs> that you build suspense. More of a Zipcock moment. <laughs> <laughs> you had to spike the volleyball. They were mentioning on the extras on the DVD that like by that point you think you're not going to see right. it because like you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, you haven't seen it yet. So that it's it actually becomes funnier cuz like you have already like decided that you're not going to see it and then you do yeah i think that's a good scene too i mean this opening is very very long in general yeah it's uh, a very it long surprisingly series. long i like the opening with um ted hitting on some other girl and her reaction like that was when i was like oh maybe i'll like this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> is that i think it starts strong yeah, and I think it's a good introduction to yeah. Mary. It gives her a lot of time to develop enough of a personality where we're not totally like, why would Ted still be obsessed with her? I mean, you can still ask that question, but at least like I got it enough in the context of this movie that she's like a pretty cool person, actually. Like she's genuinely nice and not just a hot girl. It's hard to imagine her at, in a real high school because she's so hot, but also so nice. And I'm like, that doesn't really happen. <laughs> One of my favorite lines in the movie is at the end of that bathroom sequence they're like okay it's just like ripping off a band-aid and i go yes like one two three and then cut to we got a bleeder <laughs> yeah that <laughs> was we got a bleeder was one of my favorites that i think 
if I was like teaching a sketch class, like I feel like I would show this sequence up to like we got a bleeder as part of like how to heighten comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was actually based on a true story that the Fairley brothers' parents had this happen. They yeah, had to help at a party. It was a a young man who came to the Fairley brothers' sister's party and he and he got his stuff stuck. <laughs> Zipper. Ouch. Has I mean, this ever happened to you guys? No. N- no. <laughs> no. And in fact. From the moment that this movie came out, I became paranoically obsessed with averting this situation ever <laughs> happening. I think this is a PSA that like got us all to start thinking more when we zip up I about only wear- not having this happen. <laughs> In fact, I only wear button-up pants now for this exact reason. You don't wear pants. I don't even wear <laughs> pants now. You're just Donald Ducking it through life. <laughs> I'm totally, I'm Winnie the Poohing it all over the place, you guys. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Warren, Mary's brother. Poor man. And just, and and I guess maybe Tucker is part of that conversation, too. Most definitely. So, Warren <laughs> is Mary's brother, mentally challenged, and we meet him pretty much right away when um, some bullies are making fun of him, making him do stupid things because... Allegedly, he doesn't know any better. He doesn't know that they're making fun of him. And Ted stands up for Warren. That's how he meets Mary, basically, is is helping. He endears himself to her yeah. because he's defending him. Yeah. So there's a lot of mentally challenged people in Fairly Brothers movies. And I think they, they, they do have, like, it's either one of their brothers or a family friend is mentally challenged. They produce the movie The Ringer, which is about, like, Johnny Knoxville attempting to pretend to be mentally challenged. But the movie is filled with people that are actually mentally challenged. I think in this movie, too, that some of the um, people that are around Warren are also... Warren is not in real life. Like, that actor is not. I think that I appreciate the attempt to provide some representation of mentally challenged people in movies. But I think that this doesn't ultimately work. And a lot of it is because Warren is used as a way to embarrass Ted like he's doing things to Ted to embarrass him versus being his own person like he's he's presented as a very large man who turns violent on a dime can't control his own actions obviously is very childlike but very violent and everything he does is used as a device to embarrass Ted so it doesn't seem like his character really exists beyond that yeah, and I mean, the, the violence thing is weird, too, because if he's mentally handicapped, like, most people with, you know, Down syndrome and stuff are super peaceful and wouldn't hurt anyone. And so, yeah, like, there's no real consistency, and I I, I don't think it is actually representation, you know, because it's exactly as you're saying, like, they drew him that way not to represent him as a mentally handicapped person, but they drew him that way to be instrumental to other characters in the movie. I thought that they gave him enough humanity, like, more than I was expecting them to. Like, I think he becomes a very likable character, and you can really see, like, Mary's affection for him and Ted's affection for him eventually. And part of Ted's journey is that he, like, learns how to, like, kind of be around Warren and not, you know, like, grab his ears or anything, or or that Warren becomes more comfortable with him. I wouldn't defend this as a great representation, if that's an issue that you're sensitive about or, you know, care about. I can definitely see why someone would be offended by this or or just not like this representation. But watching it, like, it worked well enough for me that I ended up liking the character and just liking how that came through overall. Yeah, it didn't work for me at all. (laughs) Yeah, and now I think we should talk about Tucker, 
who's another man drawn into obsession with Mary, who goes to pretty crazy lengths. Tucker is an architect, but turns out not to be an architect. He's actually um, a pizza guy. Yeah, he's he's pl- he's pretending to be this smart British architect so he can get Mary's pants. Uh, but we don't know that for a while. And he's also pretending to be physically challenged. I guess, what is he? He walks with, like, canes or what? Yeah, he, he walks with... Um, so really, like, the, the kinds of crutches that he's walking on are more for, like, people with muscular dystrophy. Yeah, uh-huh. So that's what I thought it was at first. Then later, they, he makes a reference about, like, having broken both legs or something. And then eventually, it becomes he broke his back on purpose to, like, ingratiate himself to Mary. It all, none of it makes sense. I mean, none it's a big it lie, it's, but... Yeah. There's a lot in this movie. There's a scene in this movie where he drops his keys and he's like, I have to do this myself. And he and it takes forever for him to bend down with his And it's his, just like, the joke crutches. of shaky arms with the crutches. That's the only joke. Yeah. I guess the point of it, what maybe they were trying to do is like, like showing the lengths of him doing this so that when it's revealed he's not actually handicapped then it's supposed to like excuse how cartoonish that moment was but in the moment it's so uncomfortable because it seems like you're making fun of somebody who is disabled because it's it's trying to go on like family guy lengths of like if we just keep it going longer then the joke gets funnier but for me it was just like it wasn't funny well, and I putting a sharper point on that, I think you are meant to laugh at that. And you are meant to laugh at the idea that his disability makes him do that when he's trying to do this thing for himself. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, he has no character other than those traits that are put on him so he can serve the plot purpose that he serves. And at the end of the day, ultimately, I would have less of a problem with that if he were funnier. If there were more funny moments that that humor would bring out and that those character choices would bring out, but I just don't think they really do. So again, I feel like he's... I don't, I don't know. It's like there are there are so many male characters in this movie who serve mostly the same purpose, even though they're at opposite ends from each other. And I felt like at the end of the day, the movie really would have been better served, not just with better character writing, but I think with kind of just making it a triangle of Ben Stiller and Matt Dillon's character facing off with Mary. Like I like the Woogie reveal. I think that's pretty clever because you don't suspect that Ben Stiller's best friend is has any like personal stake in this. And I mean, at least to me, it's surprising when he he ends up being kind of like the villain of the movie, the worst of everyone. I kind of agree that the Tucker character, I probably like him better if he had just been like the person that he was pretending to be, because I think he is an interesting antagonist to Matt Dillon as like, he actually has the job. We think Matt Dillon, we know is pretending to have. And I think it's kind of funny that he's a pizza guy instead. And like, so the opposite of that and, like, basically even a bigger loser than Matt Dillon. But, yeah, I don't think that the character is super funny, so I wouldn't be mad if that character was Yeah, cut out and I mean, something. like, so, like, Chris Elliott's character, like, breaks down in this crazy hives, like, skin rash thing, and I felt like that could have been, even that could have been a better choice for Tucker, you know, because, like, the pressure of doing this and keeping this up and the pressure of Matt Dillon, like, running this con, too, like, that breaking out in hives for that would make total sense Mm -hmm. and would be paying off a character choice. But again, it's kind of like it switches off immediately to be like, oh, well, no, Chris, Chris Elliott's character is the real villain here. 
Woogie, you know you're not supposed to be within 400 yards of me. Oh, yeah, no, I do. In fact, you know, that's, that's what I really wanted to talk to you about. You know that I have actually been through nine years of intensive psychotherapy. And you know something? You were absolutely right. I needed help. That's great, Woogie. I mean, I'm glad you're doing better. You look... You look good. Except for the, the, the rash things still there, right? Yes. <laughs> you noticed, huh? <laughs> These are called love blisters. and went away for a little while. But then you came back in my life, milady. Huh? <laughs> so I need to talk about my aversion to Chris Elliott. <laughs> Whoa. I Is there hate... something about Chris Elliott? Whoa. I hate him. Whoa. <laughs> I think that he is the personification of the gross out movie. <laughs> like he is just really gross in everything I see him in. I started recently watching Shit's Creek, which I is a very funny show, show, and I hate <gasps> him in it. I wonder how good of an actor he is because I hate him in everything and he's always <laughs> playing kind of a piece of shit, but like kind of yeah. like a gross annoying obnoxious person and that is how i see him i really like i can't stand him i'm with you yeah i'm fully <laughs> with you on that but i love him and i think that that's a mark of his talent i i don't know maybe he's the nicest guy and donates to charity and is like a sweetheart <laughs> and i don't care i can't stand him no i was gonna say like that he really does kind of embody that ickiness that yeah. i don't like and i always have had kind of a like oh, i have such a negative reaction. i'm never happy to see him <laughs> never i think he's happy to see him <laughs> Ever. It has nothing to do with his talent or really like anything personal. It's just that I associate him with grossness and I don't <laughs> welcome yeah. grossness. Yeah, I think that I can stand him in Groundhog Day because he's only in it a little. But even then, I'm like, I wish he wasn't in this movie. <laughs> like, I wish he was in nothing. And again, this is this is nothing to do with who he is in real life. But like, I watch Shit's Creek and I almost like always want to stop it when it's like, He's he's in every episode, and I'm just like, oh yeah, he's in this show. I hate this. I don't know, because I, I do feel like that's emblematic of the kinds of characters he plays. And I do find him disgusting, <laughs> but I kind of like that, because I know that that's what he is as a character actor. It's funny, because I love him on Shit's Creek. I think that's his least disgusting role. He's just so... Uh, I guess he plays obnoxious really well, because yeah. I can't stand him. Yeah. I hate him. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Maybe you're nice. I don't know. Right into the show. You're doing too good of a job, is what we're basically saying. What is the deal with Chris Elliott's character and his wife in this movie? What is the point of him and his wife? His wife is like the most subservient wife, where she's like, I'll make you cookies right now. Or she's like seen giving him a blowjob in some scene off camera. I wrote down the blowjob moment because that was, again, just like so such a throwaway like there's a lot of that in this movie where i'm like why like why is mary's dad black why is the wife so subservient it doesn't seem like those seem like setups to the jokes that never come they seem like oh they're just inherently funny on their own and they're not so they just are kind of random I think it makes him a creep. I think it early on kind of establishes a certain, like, discomfort with that character that, like, checks out once you find out, like, who he really is. They do twist that around in the closing credits montage. They have him eating her out, and she does the same thing where she, like, like, 
puts his head down there. So I think that's like, just like a throwaway. That's not even they're singing a song during it. It's not like a real. But it, like it showed me that like they weren't totally clueless when they did that. That that was going to be something that you kind of wanted like a, a follow up to. Well, but I think the fact that it was in the end credits montage rather than in the movie itself is again kind of emblematic that's a choice too what was the point aren't we supposed to think that he's a nice guy until the end it just seemed like oh he's just a creep and then he turns out to be a creep it just felt very strange to me but i felt like that was a thing that kept popping up is like some things that that were seemingly jokes and i i don't know why mary's dad is black just because it's another way to embarrass ted to to stand off against a black man I don't know. To to me, that was just part of like the the too many notes aspect of this, where it was like there. It's just one more noodle of spaghetti that they're throwing at the wall, seeing if it'll stick. Again, I think that's what happens when your writing is not as good. When you don't really think your characters through as deeply, then you have to throw in more things to try to you know sweeten the pot. But I kind of do think that that's funnier, Keith David being that guy. I love Keith David, and I thought he was okay in this, but he's just not much of a character. There's just no reason for that character to be black. It just feels random and like like you just needed an extra way for Ted to feel alarmed and embarrassed and uncomfortable while picking up his prom date because he's black. Like, it just felt like a really half-baked joke. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, super defending it or anything, but to me, like, it does add to, like, the awkwardness of that moment. I think it's more just, like, things going against Ted's expectations. I think another example of that is there's kind of a weird turn at the midpoint of this movie that becomes what I think is kind of an obligatory gay joke, where Ted gets caught up in a police Mm. sting that's also being filmed uh, live apparently on the show cops live cops um <laughs> and, and yeah it's like he's like going out to take a piss or something and like a spotlight goes up and the cops say hands up and it's like 30 guys in the field all fucking each other or yeah. something in this case i don't even know what plot purpose no you could serves. cut out the entire thing of the hitchhiker and the gay you know rest stop thing i think it's just more examples of embarrassing ted Right. And it's like embarrassing. I get the purpose of doing these comedic moments to embarrass Ted and submit him to these awkward things. But again, that's not actually humor that's coming from our lead character who we're supposed to be following in this world. It's just all this like deus ex machina shit happening at him. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't bother me. I actually kind of found it funny. It just has nothing to do with the main story at all. No, like this is a very episodic movie where pretty much every comedic set piece is its own thing and doesn't really connect to anything. God, and the fucking Brett Favre joke, like, died. It was such a just energy suck and it sucked anything remotely funny out of the end of the movie. Just the reveal that it's him? Yeah, it was just so humorless to me. I... Like, even aside from the fact that he's obvi- clearly not a natural actor, um, <laughs> I, like, Becky, rel- related to one thing you were talking about earlier, like, I, I do think the only lasting appeal of this movie on a whole would be to, like, straight white dudes who are obsessed with sports, who like to bro out at stuff like that, and who might be genuinely entertained by just having that joke be at all funny. Um, but I just thought it was, again, just like 
throw one last thing in the pot, just see if there's one more joke. Um, Yeah, it would have worked better if they could have, like, had some humor with that character instead of, like, there's not really a joke with that character. He's just, like, a nice guy and perfect. If maybe, like, getting rid of the Chris Elliott character, maybe Mary moved to Florida and, like, changed her name and everything to get away from Brett Favre. And, like, Brett Favre is just, like, despite his tremendous professional career and success is still just like so obsessed with the love he had for Mary. Like it, there are any number of ways that that could have made and been made into an actual joke, but it's just, yeah, I think the problem is that he's not an actor. So he probably couldn't have pulled off like being the villain of the movie. I kind of wish that I had just been like a fictional football player that they mention at some point earlier in the film. And then he turns out to have some role in the end, but yeah, I agree that that was a little weak. Yeah. And then there's the whole dog thing. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not, offended by like the dog stuff like there's a lot of moments where they they give the dog speed or they give the dog like sedatives yeah this drug this dog gets drugged a lot yeah and he doesn't <laughs> die and they, I, I well, do he does does he die <laughs> he dies but then he is revived oh well you he doesn't ultimately die um he he at one point is thrown out the window <laughs> and then he, the next time you see him he's like in a full body cast i remember they sold stuffed animals and i'm pretty sure that yes. we owned one that was a a, a, a fluffy i guess is puffy. It? puffy um stuffed animal with the the full body wrap um i'm not like offended and it's just so knowingly stupid but i just wish it was funnier Oh, I thought it was hilarious. I that thought was one it was my... really, really funny. I just wish it was funnier. The scene where he's fighting the dog, I thought was fucking hilarious. Yeah, I thought that that was the best comedy probably in the entire movie was... It was so cartoonish. All the stuff with the dog, like, really made me laugh. Like, when he, like, puts his little paw up oh, and he's way. trying to be, like, <laughs> I guess in the eye. I didn't, I didn't hate it, and in parts I was, like, amused, so I'm not going to say anything bad about that. I just... It was knowingly stupid, but unoffensive. You know, it's offended, like, oh, you're doing that to a little poor, defenseless dog. But it's so obviously, like, a a stuffed animal, you know, thing. But also, I just really felt it was underwritten as a dog character, (laughs) and I really wanted to know what Puffy wanted. Like, maybe if the movie had more slapsticky kind of things like that, that was kind of, like, slapstick stupid versus sexist stupid. (laughs) I don't know, like... What yeah. about the character of Magda? Like, what do you I know? fucking love Magda, and I'm okay. glad someone finally brought her up. <laughs> yeah. So Magda, I thought, was a true gem. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm glad. I, I agree. Magda I is Mary's live-in friend, and she is this lush old broad who is so tan <laughs> she is almost in blackface. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she has some of the funniest moments, because basically the dog is hers. Yes. And she is one of those, like drunk old crazy ladies who loves her dog way too much so for me that actually her character magda made the made the dog jokes a lot funnier to me right yeah if that had just been mary's dog it wouldn't have had the same like zing i think i think the fact that this woman loves this dog so much so much like that she'll make out with this dog which people actually do with their pets like makes that like the stakes of that just like funnier because you know that like this woman will like freak out if she knew that anything was happening to her dog and yeah and of course there is also a dumb cutaway joke where when pat healy is spying on mary he sees magda's raggedy old tits (laughs) but that was like again it was one of those things where like i just wish that had been like a funny character moment with magda because i actually have no idea who that actress was but lynn shay 
Lin Shay, I thought she was really funny in that mm-hmm. role. I thought that was perfect. I'm just not into it. It's fine if you are. I just like, <laughs> it just doesn't appeal to me to be like, oh, ugly tits. <laughs> I definitely was amused by ugly tits. And I'm more amused, again, by like the closing <laughs> credits when they bounce along to the Build Me Up Buttercup song. <laughs> like, that's my favorite moment, probably of the entire movie. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine if you think there's something about Mary, I guess. I think there's something about Magda. <laughs> That's the prequel we need. This movie made a buttload of money. The studio wanted there to be a sequel, but the Fairley brothers were like, there's no way. Like, this actually doesn't make any sense for it to be a sequel. So I do appreciate that. Yeah, I'm glad they at least knew to quit while they were ahead in this case. (laughs) Then they made Stuck on You. (laughs) And many other movies. I want to talk about the cast. Just The only cast members I remembered from this movie were the main three. So I was really surprised to see a lot of like well-known actors. Richard Jenkins. Oh, yeah. He plays the therapist. Jeffrey Tambor. Sarah Silverman. Yep. As Mary's too. friend. And um, Stanford Blatch. Who's that? That's from Sex in the City. Oh, yeah. Stanford. He has a long um, blonde wig. And it's like a really... It's just really weird to see him playing such a different character. Yeah. I think that the cast is all really good in this movie. Like, this was kind of, I feel like, the movie that launched Ben Stiller as, like, a major, like, comedic leading man. He yeah, had, for sure. He had been, like, a comedian before and been in a lot of movies. And he had the Ben Stiller show, which is a sketch comedy show. Yes. like, a cult hit. But I think this was probably my introduction to him. And, like, it basically, like, solidified because he's still oh, like, definitely. a is, major leading man. That was his first mainstream breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Matt Dillon is very appropriately sleazy. Uh, but Cameron Diaz is just like, I think she ends up being an MVP of every movie that we talk about her in. Like, we really liked her in The Mask. She's really great in My Best Friend's Wedding. And I think here, again, she turns what could have been a thankless role. And I, I could see a lot of bad versions of this character um, I know she didn't work that well for you guys, but I think we can all agree that she worked a lot better than, like, she could have worked if it was a blander actress. Yeah, I think no one could have polished that turd better. <laughs> Stop grossing us out. <laughs> I definitely think she should win an Oscar for being most excited to see someone, because she's really good at being excited to <laughs> she, see someone. That's true. No, that's true. <laughs> she's got a great smile. So I remember when we were talking back about Dumb and Dumber, a movie that you guys, I think, appreciated more than I did. I felt like this movie was a nice correction to that because that movie had no female characters that were at all interesting. They were really just set dressing, basically, for these guys to lust after. That movie kind of deals with also guys who are like mentally challenged, but we don't <laughs> really know how much. But I, I felt like that was more problematic then because it was like, I don't know if we're making fun of people who have a real disability or what, because they definitely weren't just like normal, stupid people. Also, like the fact that like we remember like Jim Carrey was so creepy in that movie. Like I felt like this was a nice like kind of commentary on that, whereas a lot of those things kind of went unchecked in that movie. So I just ended up liking this a lot more than Dumb and Dumber. I would not recommend this movie. (laughs) I would say watch that bathroom scene on YouTube or something as like a great... But not on a plane. (laughs) Not on a plane. You can't watch it on a plane. Um, No, actually, I think they showed... They did not show the shot of the Franks and Beans, but the rest of it remained Mm -hmm. unchanged. Um, Yeah, I just can't recommend this movie. I don't think it works. Sorry. Don't don't watch this. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, kind of echoing what Becky's saying, like, I, I don't think, even when I saw it closer to its release, I thought it was a mixed bag at best, and I don't think it's really aged all that well either. You know, I think there are plenty of other examples, like Romy and Michelle's of movies with um, women in the driver's seat of the action, um, but that are both much funnier and take a lot more care to establish their characters so you know what place their crazy actions and thoughts are coming from. Yeah, I had a good time watching this again. It's not a movie that I'm going to return to very often. Um, I don't think it's a great comedy. I think it's fine and does some things well. But when I was just like looking back at the Fairley brothers in general, like their track record is kind of looking pretty bad yeah, for the bad. kinds of characters that they do. They have Dumb and Dumber, something about Mary. We talked about all the kind of problematic characters in that. Me, Myself, and Irene, which is about multiple personality disorder. Shallow Hal, Oof. Stuck on You, which is about conjoined twins. Oh. So, and the Three Stooges, <laughs> which I don't even wow. know. I haven't seen that. <laughs> but um, they really went for, and you can see it even in just this movie is they often go for like what kind of person can we laugh at in this kind of situation so even though I don't think that this movie is a particularly bad example of that I think in general their career is not looking great I actually rewatched Shallow Hal just to kind of see if it was a good or bad example of what they can do and I think that movie actually holds up more than this one really yeah it, because it really develops Gwyneth Paltrow's character and you really feel for that woman in that and the joke is on the men again which I think it is in this movie too I mean it's called Shallow How he and his friend is played by Jason Alexander they are both like super superficial and judging women based on looks and neither of them is obviously like a stud it's even more so a commentary on you know men thinking that they deserve hot women just because they exist and that movie very much takes the perspective like uh no like actually like you have to be into the person and they both kind of like learn little lessons so that movie i actually while it still does go for a few really broad jokes with her being fat i think in general it considered her character enough that i found that one not offensive so it's weird that like on the surface i feel like they make a lot of bad choices in terms of the characters that they want to talk about but i feel like they often do it at least with more consideration than it would appear like just in like the marketing of the movies and i haven't seen shallow hell ever like maybe i saw a few clips here or there on cable but it just seems like they often want to have their cake and eat it too where they're criticizing men acting like this but at the same time you're supposed to laugh at how fat she is mm-hmm. you know and and it's something like that that it just rubs me the wrong way even though they're saying don't act like this they're still encouraging you to act like this by making fun of fat people and presenting fat people as unattractive and you know that whole kind of thing just rubs me the wrong way that's why i think i just don't like their movies even if they're attempting to say something good it does they don't go about it the right way for me yeah i think it's like a sign of the times because the 90s were just kind of such a time when like you would make fun of like people who had disabilities or something something that just wasn't like normal like friends did that a lot like with fat monica and like so, a lot of gay jokes, a lot of trans jokes. Exactly. It, that's just, unfortunately, a lot of what the humor was based on. So I appreciate that they put more thought into it than I think even Friends did for the most part. But I don't think that these movies hold up great today. I think that they 
show some humanity, but also, like, there's enough of a problem of just the idea, and I do agree that they do kind of have it both ways with exploring a deeper issue, but also just kind of going for cheap laughs, too. And that's all the baby batter we have time for on this episode of the When We Were Young podcast. On our next episode... Yes, that's right. The When We Were Young podcast is going to revisit the work of the most commercially successful composer and musical theater songwriter of all time, the Right Honorable Sir the Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber. And yes, that is his full name. We'll be basically revisiting my entire childhood in this episode, for one, but of course we'll be talking about all the hits that Andrew Lloyd Webber brought to the stage and beyond. Phantom, Cats, Evita, Starlight Express, and Joseph and Jesus, who I seamlessly blend together in my mind. So join us as we try to determine exactly how much magic remains in Mr. Mistopheles on the next episode of When We Were Young. The When We Were Young podcast has been a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed joining us on this audiophonic experience, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review of five stars or more, and we'll read that review on the podcast. If you have suggestions for future episodes, you can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, and any of the other social medias. I have been Seth. I'm Becky. And I have seven-minute abs. What if somebody creates six-minute abs? They wouldn't. That's ridiculous. Why would they create six-minute abs? Can't get a workout in six minutes. His friends would say, stop whining. They've had enough of that. His friends would say, stop pining. There's other girls to look at. They've tried to set him up with Tiffany and Indigo. But there's something about Mary that they don't know. Mary. There's just something about Mary. 